Welcome to the Eastern Hills Audio Podcast. We exist to help as many people as possible take their next step towards finding community and following Christ. Maybe you've got questions about Jesus. Maybe you're good with Jesus, just not his church. Maybe you're feeling disconnected and want to reconnect. We think you'll find our messages both helpful and hopeful. So enjoy. Well, welcome to Church Online. My name's Rob, and I get to serve as the pastor here at Eastern Hills. If this is your first Sunday joining us, we're so glad to have you with us as we kick off this new series looking at the book of James, A Faith That Works. For the next six weeks, we're going to look at the first half of the book, and then we'll pick things up again in the winter-springtime looking at part two. Let's get started with the question. If faith isn't guaranteed to fix problems in our life, why work at it? at all. You know, Jesus said, in this life we will face trouble. And today we're going to see that his brother said that we're going to face trials. And I don't know if you've ever done this before where you've played the comparison game, where you've looked at other people's life, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, you've said, you know what, listen, they don't do the church thing, the Christianity thing, the Jesus thing, the Bible thing, and their life seems to be just fine. So why should I continue to work at faith? at all. Or maybe you're on the fence when it comes to Jesus. And the reason why you're thinking, I'm not going to, you know, I'd have to give up a lot to follow Jesus. And if it's not going to fix my problems, then why should I even cross over that line? Well, I want to offer a response to that tension today. You see, James is going to help us see that what happens in you doesn't have to be the result of what happens to you. Now, to get there, we need to understand some things about James, especially if you're coming back to church for the first time in a long time or you wouldn't consider yourself a Bible scholar. Let me tell you about James. He was a lead pastor of the first church ever in Jerusalem. Now, during his ministry, there were some good times that took place, you know, people coming to faith, being baptized, but there were also Christians that faced horrific treatment that because of their allegiance to Jesus, they were persecuted. In fact, that was, G- that was James's story and how his life came to an end. He was thrown from a very high point uh, in an attempt to murder him, except he survived. And when he hit the ground and he was still alive, the, the crowd began to stone him. And again, surviving the stoning, it took someone taking a stick and hitting him to kill him. Now, what historians tell us is that even as he was severely wounded, he prayed for the men who were trying to kill him. And I share that story because James was a guy that practiced what he preached. He's the perfect guy to help us see today that what happens in us doesn't have to be the result of what happens to us. So before we begin looking at the first four verses here of James chapter 1, I want to invite you to join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we come to you and we praise you. We praise you for being the one that brings all things into existence. And we praise you because you're holy. We praise you because you are righteous. We praise you because you have no beginning and you have no end. We praise you as the one that has given us this word to sustain us, to transform us, that as we trust it, it begins to shape us and change the way we think about you, others in this world. Today, as we examine it, expose our hearts, expose those areas of our life where we fail to trust you and give us a greater confidence, trust, and assurance that it's worth it. The following after you and placing our faith and confidence will bring about a change in our life that not only lasts now, but carries through eternity, God. 
Help my words to be clear so that you can be glorified. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, for those of you that walked, uh, you didn't walk in because you're watching at home online. For those of you that tuned in today and you're going through some difficult things, I want you to know that um, some of the things I share today might not take away the pain and the hurt and the hardship that you're experiencing. But I do pray that it will at least help you think about it from a different perspective and minister in such a way that's not fleeting, that gives you something secure that you can hold on to. So James picks up now in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, James. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Now, 12, twi- tw- 12 tribes, you know, when you take a couple months off from preaching, uh, not intentionally because I was on vacation and then I got sick with COVID, uh, you get a little bit rusty and some of the words don't come out the right way. But let me try that again. The 12 tribes is a reference to Old, Te- Old Testament language. And what James is trying to communicate is that he's writing this to God's people and he's writing to a group of people that are scattered. They're not in one centralized location. They're in various locations, but they're still under his leadership. And what's fascinating to me is how he chooses to introduce himself. He just says, James, I'm a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if there was anybody to play the credential card, it was him. Um, you need to listen to me because I am the brother of Jesus. I would love to have those credentials. You're trying to get into a restaurant, reservation. Hey, you know, we can't get you in. Listen, I'm Jesus's brother. You need to let me in. That would be amazing. He doesn't do that. He doesn't need to put it on his resume because most people knew exactly who he was. Throughout the New Testament, you might see this was James, son of so-and-so. You don't see that with James because they knew he was, who he was. And he's kind of a big deal, not because he's Jesus' brother. You see, there's this account that takes place in Acts chapter 15. There's this church leadership meeting that was invite only, closed door session, where the leaders of the church are seeking God's guidance through the Holy Spirit to come alongside Gentiles, these non-religious folk, and how to serve them after they've come to faith in Christ. And there's an important discussion that's taking place. And Peter's there, and he was appointed by Jesus to lead. It's hard to argue that many other people had as much spiritual authority on earth like Peter had. And there's Paul there, you know, the great apostle Paul. He's given us so much of the New Testament. And Barnabas is there as well. And in this crucial moment, someone says, you know, who will speak? And James begins to speak. And all of these great leaders are leaning in and they're listening to every word. So if Peter's willing to sit under James's authority and, and Paul's willing to sit and listen and Barnabas is sitting and listen, I think we should consider what James, a servant of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ, has to say about faith. He says, Greetings, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, that whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Here's where I want to start. I want to start with this word here, whenever. James says, this will happen. Not if, but when. But as you face these different trials of many kinds, you know, whether it's the loss of a loved one, persecution, he doesn't say what specific trials that we're going to have. He just says, we're going to experience trials. Now, when this happens, we all respond to trials in a different way. Let me give you some common responses 
responses to trials. The first one is rage. Now, I'm not just talking about road rage. Someone cuts you off and you get all fired up. I'm talking about the rage that comes from something inside you. Okay, here's the scenario. You're single. Single people, we love you. Uh, I know how challenging it can be. And the dating scene, for those of you that have chosen to be single, we love you as well. Um, but, but here's what happens. It's Friday night. You're all alone. You're Netflix binging. Maybe work is awful right now. It's a difficult season. Um, you're maybe thinking, I, I don't know. I didn't realize that I would be at this point in my life. I thought I'd be further ahead in my career. I thought I would be married. I thought I'd have kids, whatever it might be. And maybe you're sitting at home and you're, you're Netflix binging. So you grab the ice cream and a spoon. Maybe not a spoon, uh, maybe it's a fist and you're just fisting it, you know, getting that, that ice cream uh, to make you feel better. And as that's happening, you get REM. REM, you know, the classic, everybody hurts, playing in the background and you got Instagram going. Instagram's going and you're looking at everybody and you're thinking, Ugh, I, wish, I wish my life was like them. You know, the perfect life, perfect kids, you know, oh, look at that vacation that they're on and oh good, they got a promotion. And as you're doing that, something internally is something to happen and it's rage and it's anger and it's frustration and you're, that's how you're choosing to respond to a set of circumstances that you wish were different. Here's another, and this one's personal for me. Another thing that happens within us is stunted growth. And I want to explain that a little bit through two stories. So hang in there. Last Sunday, I went to Wegmans. And I went to Wegmans to get some steak to barbecue. Now, I didn't know that you will likely have to sell your child to be able to afford to buy steak these days. I mean, it's like up 30%. It's nuts. But as I'm get, coming into the grocery store, I had one of those moments that, that pastors strongly dislike. And it's the moment you run into someone that has left your church. As a pastor, you know, we, we don't want anybody to leave. We want people to stay. And, but we realize that sometimes people make a decision to move on. So as I'm coming through, they see me, I see them. And it, it's like transporting back to junior high. This, this was their response. Oh, is the building falling down? I want to try to avoid eye contact so I don't have this awkward conversation. And for whatever reason, it triggered something inside me. And I was frustrated and I just started to think, you know, I've only been here two years and I'm already, you know, I'm already running into people that have left the church. And, you know, there was conflict before I got to the church and when I got to the church. And, you know, and there's just been leadership transitions. It's like, wow, God, what? This is frustrating. And so all of this, you know, anger is building and I end up getting this steak and, you know, it cost me an arm and a leg. And, we have the barbecue, and then later that night, I'm, I'm penning some thoughts, and it hits me. There's this, a few years ago, there's a story with my kids, and I went to the grocery store, and it's like, oh, I went to the grocery store to probably to buy things that I shouldn't have bought, because that's what my wife buys, all the healthy stuff. I go in, I get chips, ice cream, you know, brownies, and all the things that, that are not good for me. So I'm with the kids. And I see someone that's experiencing conflict in the church, and I didn't want to engage in that moment. So what did I do? Oh, kids, come this way. I don't want to go down that aisle. But that's what we need. And it's like, no, 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 we don't. I think they're gone. It's like, Dad, I think there's plenty there. Listen, don't disrespect your father. Dad, you're acting strange. Yeah, that's okay. Let's just go. And I did the very thing that I got irritated with last Sunday. And as I was processing, I realized that there was a maturity gap within me. That I still am prone to avoiding difficult 
conversations that sometimes I would rather avoid the conflict and some of the trial that co will come with the conversation rather than seeking it through and maturing. See, that's what happens, stunted growth. Sometimes we quit prematurely with stunts maturity. That's a stunted growth. That's how we respond to trials. The last one is apathy. Things are so bad that you just become uh, indifferent to a default. I don't care. You lose interest. You lose enthous enthusiasm or concern. You're just eh, like, this is going to go on forever. You know, I just, I don't care anymore. And, and that's a scary place to be. But what's, what's not on here is, is the option to just avoid suffering. I mean, Jesus made that clear. James made it clear. And yet there are some Christians that approach, this, that, that, that approach life this way. Not all Christians, but some. That your aim in life is to avoid as much hurt and suffering as possible. In fact, as I say that, and I'm honest, there's a, I see myself in that. Because no one really wants to experience hurt and suffering. I just think, so by default, we want to run from it. But if this is your aim, if this is your intention, this is your goal, is to avoid as much hurt and suffering in life, you're never going to grow up. In fact, one of my favorite Disney movies is Peter Pan. And in the 90s, I love the movie Hook. But being a lost boy is not a life goal. If avoiding hardship at all costs is your approach to life, then you're never going to mature. And neither will your faith. Uh, pause here. This is probably one of those, aren't you glad that you tuned in to watch church? Like, wow, this is, this is kind of a challenging message. So let me shift gears a little bit. Let me ask you, any C.S. Lewis fans watching or listening later during the week? How about Chronicles of Narnia? If you remember or you're familiar with the scene, there's the children where the, the, where the children begin to learn about Aslan, the lion that was king. And Lucy, one of the children, asks a very obvious question. She says, is he safe? And the answer was, of course he isn't safe, but he is good. See, I want you to know that God is good. And he has promised to use the unsafe things in your life, the scary things that you're experiencing, the hurtful things in your life. And he promises to use it for your good. But there's something that comes with it. It comes with trust and obedience in him. That as he guides the way, you step forward and obey. You see, faith is so much more than that intellectual understanding that God is who he says he is and he did what he said he was going to do. It's trusting him enough to do what he says to do. And so James explains it this way. He says, listen, we're going to face these trials of many kinds, but you should know that there's purpose. You see, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. In other words, a faith that works takes work. You see, sadly, many people grew up with a version of Christianity said that faith's all about how you gain health and how you gain wealth and how you avoid suffering. But that viewpoint is not in the Old Testament and that viewpoint is not in the New Testament. Jesus promised trouble and James is promising trials. And yet I recognize that there might be some people tuning in today that your life's a mess and you're just listening, looking for a message of hope. And you're ready to give up on Jesus. You're ready to give up on Christianity because the hurt in your life isn't going away and you just feel deeply. Before you quit Jesus, hear this. The amount of faith that you have or don't have has nothing to do with if you will suffer. Your faith has everything to do with how you will suffer. Whether it's out of hardship, 
into hardship or through hardship. We all get to choose how we will respond to the trials that we experience in life, whether it be rage, avoiding conflict or hardship and stunting our maturity and growth or apathy and being indifferent and giving up and lacking enthusiasm. Or the other option is to experience joy, to experience maturity, and to experience perseverance. You know, this is the matrix. Do you want the red pill, blue pill? Do you want to go left? Do you want to go right? The option and the choice is yours. But know this, option two, option two requires a change in thinking. You see, after Jesus took on Satan and won, after he was tempted in every way that we were tempted to sin and chose not to sin, he begins his ministry. You see, the first sermon or message that we get from Jesus in the New Testament is found in Matthew's gospel. And he starts with this word, repent. Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And when we hear this word, repent, oftentimes we associate it with hellfire and, and brimstone preachers or people with megaphones, but it simply means a change in thinking that results in a change of action. It's reorienting your life around Jesus and his commands. And so if your target is joy, if your target is maturity, if your target is perseverance, then we've got to change our thinking. And a great place to start are with some of the lies that we believe about God in the midst of a trial. Here's the first lie, that God is punishing us. I've been there before. You go through one difficult thing after the next, and then you stop and say, wait a minute, is this payback? What did I do? You start, you know, replaying your week back and, oh, maybe I'm being punished for that bad choice or how I treated that people or how I treated those people. Know that that's a lie. That's not true. You may feel it, but don't feed it. God is not punishing his people because he's already punished his son. You see, the gospel says this, that on the cross, Jesus took on the sin of mankind as punishment. A great injustice took place through Christ so that justice could take place. We offended a holy and righteous God by falling short of his standard. And the only way that we could be reconciled is a perfect sacrifice through his son. And so because he took on that punishment, God promises to never punish us. He's not punishing you. He's not punishing me because he's already punished Jesus. Here's the other lie. God has abandoned us. Sometimes we look at God almost like a deadbeat dad. A dad that looks at his kids and says, you know what, figure it out. I'll see you later. And he walks out the door. But that's not Jesus. After Jesus rose from the dead, he made this promise that I am with you always. And yet we internally struggle and we say, God, you said you would provide for me. God, you said that you would protect me. Nobody understands. I'm all alone. That's a lie. Jesus said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Here's that last lie. God will answer every question for us. You know, it, you can't help it. You, you, you know, I, I recently got, went into my garage to drive to work and I looked in, the, in my a flat tire, just like, oh, why? That's just a common response. Why is this happening? You know, how come this happened to me? You know, where, where is this going? And, and, and who, who's going to step in and, and make things better? 
In life, we're not going to get all the answers. The scriptures provide a lot, but not all. And I'm confident that even if we got answers to all those big questions, sometimes it wouldn't change the way that we feel because we're just hurting. But until we see the face of Jesus, we're not going to have all of our questions answered. So until then, it takes work. A faith that work takes work and confidence and following Jesus' guidance. Now, James says to let the perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Like I said earlier, if we quit prematurely, it stunts our maturity. Serial daters, you get this. You know, you, you get into a relationship, things get difficult, you end the relationship and you begin dating someone else. All you're doing is bringing your immaturity into the next relationship. Unfortunately, the same thing happens in the church world. Sometimes we show up to church and we assume that church should be drama free. And then we get into groups, we start doing life with other people and we say, this is messy, this is hard, this is difficult. Or things happen in church leadership that we, that we disagree with and we say, no, this is, this is a mess. And you leave that church and you go to the next church assuming that that church isn't going to have problems. And you move from church to church to church. And you might be missing out on something that God wants to do through you, that perhaps he wants to mature your faith by persevering through that difficult set of circumstances. Now, I shared uh, this recently about a time that I almost quit, even here at this church, that last November I almost resigned. I, I was done, you know. Conflict was here before I got here, and, and it's just two years of difficulty and, and this, this trial that continues to go on and all the things that are happening nationally. I just said, you know, God, I'm done. You know, I'm done, I'm done with, min I think I'm done with ministry. I don't think I can do this anymore. But a good friend of mine reminded me that God was writing a story through me and, and that the story wasn't over yet. Now, now, don't get me wrong. Some things we do have to end because it's unhealthy. But more times than not as a pastor, is what I see is that most people quit prematurely with stunts maturity. But a faith that work takes work. You see, James makes this statement. Before he talks about the trials that we're faced, before he talks about maturity and perseverance, he starts it with a simple statement. He says, consider it pure joy. And whenever I read this, I, it, there's this inner tension that, that's within me. See, I, I doubt. I'm a default doubter and I'm a skeptic at heart. That, you know, when, when I read things like this in the Bible, it's kind of hard for me. And if you're a skeptic at this point, this is maybe where you check out because you would say Christianity seems to be in conflict with reality because there are some trials that I simply can't consider joy. Is it joy when I, you know, sat bedside with a family member that I loved and they breathed their final breath after experiencing a, a horrific, tragic accident? Was that joy? Do I count that joy? When soldiers are unjustly murdered in Afghanistan, is that joy? When 2,977 people were killed through the events of 9-11, should we consider that joy? Should I consider it joy when I have yet another COVID debate? Well, I think this or I think that. I mean, I'm just, oh, it is so difficult to say, consider that joy. And if you're a default doubter or skeptic, I want you to know that we have something in common. You see, James didn't always believe that his brother was God. He struggled with that. In fact, family would say to Jesus, you're out of your mind. So what changed for James? How did he move from this person of saying, you know what, Jesus, you need to just 
stop and chill because they're going to kill you. You need to stop with all of this. To a one that would speak so boldly in front of great leaders and that those great leaders would listen to what he had to say. What changed for James? The Apostle Paul said, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he says, He appeared to James. James, the brother of Jesus. James, who's teaching us about joy and faith. Can you imagine this moment? Imagine grieving the loss of your brother. Imagine, you know, recounting all the times that you questioned him and you were angry with him and, and you're mad that they killed him, but still a little mad that he didn't just figure out a different way. Why did he have to see this all the way through? And you're, you're never going to, you know, be able to have a conversation with him. All of the normal human emotions. And then a few days later, you're face to face with the resurrected God, your brother, Christ. Can you imagine what that would have been like for James as everything began to click and joy took on new meaning? You see, I promise you that James would not define joy in the way that many of us define joy. James isn't saying, look at the bright side. You got hit by a car. It could have been a bus. You, you made it. You did it. You see, happiness is, is rooted in your circumstances, but joy is not. See, last week I shared this verse in Hebrews, Hebrews 12 too. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. I can't think of anything less joyful than the crucifixion. But Jesus counted it, considered it, reckoned it, joy. You see, James learned about true joy from his brother, Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. You might be familiar with the story of Elizabeth Elliot. You see, she and her husband were missionaries. They moved to Ecuador to share the gospel with an unreached people group. But when they arrived, that people group murdered Elizabeth Elliot's husband and many other, leaving many others, leaving them widows and their children without fathers. But they did not choose to retreat. They chose to stay, and eventually they were welcomed into the village, and that group of people were transformed by the gospel of Christ. But it gets better. Some men became like dads to the children whose father they killed. I mean, that's incredible. You mean, you just don't hear stories like that. And Elizabeth Elliot became a well-known author and speaker and writer, and she said this, if the cross is the place where the worst thing that could happen happened, it also is the place where the best thing that could happen happened. Ultimate hatred and ultimate love met on those two cross pieces of wood. Suffering and love were brought into harmony. But let's make this personal. How many of you are experiencing a trial right now? How many of you are, are going through a set of, of difficult circumstances, a hardship that you didn't see coming? I mean, nobody saw the pandemic and people are dealing with anxiety and depression at alarmed rates. And if I'm describing you, what you're probably experiencing in this season is 
elevated emotion that escalates quickly. You know, when we are in a conversation and someone says something and it triggers anger or sadness and you're thinking, where does that come from? You see, our emotions tend to be very elevated and escalated in the midst of a trial. We sometimes feel more clearly than we think. And so if I'm describing you, I want you to know that James can help. Here's what he said, but slightly different. It's a different translation. This one comes from the New King James Version. Same statement, but a little different. He said, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. You see, in the original language that this was written, this word count comes from a Greek word that is a financial term. It was true then, and it's true today, that our values determine our evaluations, that we, do, we don't evaluate things that we don't value. And we don't stop and think about the things that don't matter to us. We're constantly thinking about the things that do matter to us. And so James is driving his audience to this great understanding that as we follow Jesus and we're guided by Jesus, the things that we once had with significant value and importance change. In light of who Jesus is, in light of eternity, maybe some of the things that we once valued now become wasteless. And so he's saying, weigh the trials that you're experiencing in light of who Jesus is, in light of who God is, in light of his promises, in light of what is yet to come. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Let me give you two questions to help you evaluate this week. The first one is this. Uh, do I value comfort more than character? If we value comfort more than character when we experience trials, they're going to upset us. This is ruining my day. This is ruining my month. This is ruining my year, my first year of school or my college experience or my career or, you know, this set of circumstances when what's happening is that that trial is disrupting your comfort. But what if what God is doing is trying to mature you through a difficult moment in your life so that you might provide comfort someone else for someone else and their difficult moments in life? Let me give you one more to wrestle with. Do I value the material and physical more than the spiritual? If we're only living for the present and we forget the future, trials will make us bitter, not better. When we're only focused on our immediate surroundings and we forget what God has promised to do and what he's doing in us and through us, we lose sight of what's to come. You see, I was kind of surprised this week when I had a conversation with my kids. We got some difficult news that Kirsten's grandfather had passed away. Great guy, Grandpa Louie. He... Uh, was, you know, served as an elder at his church. He uh, served in uh, prison ministry, helping those that had given up hope or were looking for second, uh, second chances or a new start, the hope of the gospel and who Jesus is and the new life that he promises. And so God used him greatly. He's loved by his family. Uh, remember, uh, lots of ice cream. He loved all kinds of different ice cream in the refrigerator. He loved Texas, Longhorns. Um, but... What so surprised me is when we sat down with the kids, and my wife was very upset and emotionally, when we sat down with the kids to talk with them, I really thought that they would have just a lot of tears and emotions because they had just spent some time with him in, in the spring for his birthday. Um, and so, but when I began to explain that he had passed away, this was their response. We're glad that he's gone to be with Jesus, 
and that he's not going to suffer anymore. I thought, wow, you know, my, my wife's crying. It's an emotional moment. And they were just so confident in their faith. And this type of thinking comes from the scriptures. That when the scriptures are deep-rooted in our heart, it changes the way that we think about situations. It changes the way that we respond in trials. It doesn't mean that the tears don't go. It doesn't mean the tears go away. It doesn't mean that, you know, the hurt that we're feeling goes away. No, it just gives us perspective that this isn't just a horrible, horrific thing and, and nothing else good can ever come in life. No, you see, what happens in you doesn't have to be the result of what happens to you. You could choose rage. You could choose to, to never grow through different things. You could choose just to be apathetic. Or you could set your aim on joy and maturing through the, the trial and persevering through the child, trial. But the choice is yours. You have a choice. And I hope over the next few weeks as we study the book of James, we're going to see that a faith that works takes work and that you'll be encouraged that it's worth it. Today we're going to respond by, by looking at a video. It's a spoken word that walks us through the book of James, and I hope it gets you excited about what's to come in the weeks ahead. Let's do that now. Faith works. This is the message of James, that we, in our own ability, cannot stand in the face of adversity. We could never find the strength to trust without faith. Because we don't have the capability to see above the trials that we meet, to keep our eyes focused on the King while counting the situation we are currently experiencing as joy. Faith works. This is the essence of James. We don't work to be saved. We work because we are saved, without faith, without works. We too quickly become that man in the mirror staring at his face, but then forgets the way he looks as soon as he turns away. But with faith, with works, we stay steadfast on this journey, progressively sanctified, knowing we'll be perfected once we reach the other side. Faith works. This is the cry of James, that faith apart from works can never be sustained, that in every day and in every way we should see this truth proclaimed because it's faith that makes us doers of the word, not just hearers. It's faith that keeps us humble, not proud. It's faith that directs our tongues to bless, not to curse. It's faith that causes us to show mercy, not judgment. It's faith that leads us to true religion, not its empty substitute. And it's faith that's causing us to preach the good news to every tribe, tongue, and nation with every breath that we breathe. And it will be faith that causes us to worship our God for all eternity. This is the message of James. Faith works. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. If so, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast. For more information about Eastern Hills, please check out easternhills.org. We would love to pray for you. Email your request to office at easternhills.org. If you would like to donate to the ministry of Eastern Hills, click the donate button in the upper right-hand corner of our website. We look forward to connecting with you again next week. Take care. God bless.